Uh, pretty good. <laughs> Josh's gift for understatement comes through once again. But the one guy above all of them that I want to see come up and I want to see him play is Dalton Pompey. Do you have their number? No. I don't <laughs> want to hear their voice any more often than I have to. And welcome to episode number 113 of Artificial Turf Wars, where we wish we were as good at anything as Vlad Guerrero Jr. is at hitting, specifically baseballs. I'm your host, Greg Wisniewski, and I'm joined tonight by Joshua Housem. Josh, how are you? I'm good, and you? I am good. Uh, the Blue Jays uh, have a few things to talk about. Uh, Ryan Barucki is possibly a highlight we're going to talk about. Uh, got that big W. Uh, we got a lot of other uh, innings to fill here, and we're not exactly sure who that's going to be, so we're going to talk about that. Uh, Lourdes Gurriel is coming back from injury maybe sooner than later, and um, that'll, once again, throw a little monkey wrench in all of the infield goings-on. Uh, we, we have, we've had a rough go with the remaining pitchers, including the guys who are supposed to be good, Ryan Tapera and Tyler Clippard. We will tell you all things Vlad Guerrero Jr. to cheer you up. We will take your questions, and we will hand out a, a do-over to a one-time Blue Jay many moons ago who, uh, wow, he just ran his mouth, and uh, whenever someone runs their mouth, we like to <laughs> draw attention to it. Because <laughs> we're really nice people. <laughs> uh, so, Ryan Barucki, uh, I think he's he seems to be doing pretty well at this, this Major League stint thing uh he finally got the w out in seattle yeah it's a it's about time it took him seven starts to get his first win the blues just were not scoring for him at all like you've kind of felt a little bad for the guy well yeah that's not to say that that he uh you know he gave up four or five runs each time and and got left how many how many outings was he leaving with one or two runs on the board and and nothing turned his way well, I mean, just for a reference, and the answer to that question is six. He has he's had six <laughs> outings where he gave up two runs or fewer. One time he got rocked by the Red Sox because everybody gets rocked by the Red Sox and the Blue Jays. But he led the team, or no, sorry, was one off the team lead in quality starts. He's made seven starts. <laughs> Ah, which is uh, both an indictment of the starting rotation as it existed all year and um, <laughs> also a uh, a pat on the back to Mr. Barucki. So as this goes on, do we have a, a third or fourth starter, you know, and again, maybe he's better than that, but do we have a third or fourth starter we could slot in next year? Because they're going to need to start filling that rotation with real, real bodies, right? You know what? I think we do. And I wrote about this and I alluded to it somewhat in the previous episodes of this podcast, but Ryan Brocky is basically the left-handed version of Marco Estrada who throws you know, four or five miles an hour harder. I mean, his fastball moves to an insane degree. I mean, no, there's no pitcher in baseball who doesn't throw sidearm like Chris Sale or Aaron Loop whose fastball runs as much as his does. And he's got that really good changeup, and he throws a bunch of strikes. And if you can do that, you can succeed. I mean, it's not a secret that he patterned his game off Mark Burley, which is you know movement, changing speeds, and throwing strikes. 
and I think as much as we've been astonished by the number of guys who can suddenly crank it up to, you know, 99 or 100 miles an hour now, um, I, I think there is still room for that kind of pitcher in baseball. I think maybe, you know, those guys have been overlooked the last couple of years. So it would be nice if Baraki can settle in uh, and, and, you know, if he already knows how to pitch. I guess they, they talk about guys learning to pitch and Baraki's had to do that without the earth shattering stuff. Yeah, and there's one thing that seems to be a skill of his, which I mean, it might become more valuable, especially with the way the game is being played now. He, he has the ability to suppress home runs. You know, he did it all through the minor leagues, and he's come up to the bigs, and through his first 43 innings in the major leagues, he has given up zero home runs. That's that pretty good. Like, like Aaron Loop circa 2012 or whatever. <laughs> yeah, let's not make that comparison. But, <laughs> you know, going back to 2015, because that's as far back as I decided to search, I could go farther if you want me to, but there are four pitchers who've had finished a season with 40 or morning pitches, or, or including this season, and no home runs allowed. Brandon Moore and Wade Davis, two closers, and Andrew Chafin, an elite late-inning reliever for the Diamondbacks. The only guy on the list is Baraki. Now, obviously part of that is because they pitch more games and then they eventually give up a home run, but 43 innings without a home run is elite. Absolutely. So he's elite at something, and maybe everything else rounds into into form, as it were. Um So the starting rotation right now, and I can't believe I'm going to have to, is... Uh, Marcus Stroman. Ryan sort of, Bar- maybe. Ryan Baraki. This is like right now. Uh, Sam and that's Ga- why I said sort of maybe. But yeah. keep going. Sam Gavilio. Yeah. Uh, Haas Child, who, of course, got blown up by the Red Sox. In, it, it wasn't a grand slam or anything, but he got messed up by the Red Sox tonight um, and his second start. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling like there's not a lot of names on this list. Marco Estrada, come on, man. Okay, Marco Estrada, fair. But uh, Marcus Stroman left his last injury with a bl- last start with a blister. Left his last injury with a blister. That's hilarious. I corrected it. <laughs> <laughs> I got a blister getting an injury. What? No. Uh, okay, so that's that's a lot of innings, and we've we've seen how bullpen days go in Toronto. Yeah, uh, Tyler Clippard getting a start was it went as well as you expected. <laughs> And then they threw Hostile in there, did they not, right after that? Yep, and that's why he got the start today, and it didn't go well, as you said. But, like, if the guy's a starter, and I don't understand the Clipper thing at all. Like, this is, the Rays have done it to be cute because the Rays are cheap and are trying to convince people that they're geniuses and not just cheap. But what's the Blue Jays' excuse? That... Mike Hoschild was a journeyman who they had no idea if he was going to be any good. They didn't want to give him a major, major league start. Oh, well, obviously, go to a guy who hasn't started in 10 years. You know what you're going to get with Tyler Clifford. Yeah. Sad Well, trauma. I think they were hoping to get a couple innings out of Clifford, and then, of course, that didn't happen. I mean, Hoschild was signed, like, right before the game. It wasn't, it wasn't like this is a guy from their system, they're ready. He was signed the day of the start. Well, his name was on the lineup card before the announcement press release came out that he was on the roster, which is wonderful comedy if you're thinking about how much money is spent on a baseball organization. (laughs) And this is just, you know, just something that I don't really get, right? The Blue Jays signed Nick Tepish, who sucks, right? He's not good, but he's not a completely horrible waste of space bad and he's pitching in their minor leagues 
right now in Buffalo, and he's not pitching well. But if you signed that guy, what for? If not to just come up and start when you don't have any starting pitchers? It's not. Uh, it's not like they're afraid of adding someone to the forty man because Hoschild and Compton both had to be added to the forty man. So I don't really understand. I yeah, I don't understand either. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna guide you here. Really, <laughs> I wish I could. I'm looking to you for wisdom, Greg. Come on. Uh, wow. Uh, I opened that drawer this morning. The moths flew out. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, there is there is no baseball wisdom left here. Um, so the other guy, I suppose we, we talked about Clippard blowing up. I guess the other guy we got to talk about is Ryan Tapera. Um, Tapera was was last night in a a hard fought game against the Red Sox. Can we call that game hard fought? I guess we could. I mean, they did go to extra innings. They they came back in the ninth on a smoke bomb, right? Um, to tie it. Oh, uh, they again. They came back against Craig Kimbrell. Five five. It, just amazing. Is it is it an indictment of myself or this team that even when I saw the score was five five in the ninth, I thought if they do not win it now, there's no way they are winning this game. I think it's on you a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Because the Jays actually, you know, they've done well in extra innings. And when you're the home team, and they still had Giles who to pitch, which obviously did not go well. He gave up five runs in his inning. But, you know, they had guys to come in who you expected could be good, and it just didn't work out. But going back to Tapera, this has been a problem lately. I mean, he's given up runs in three of his last six starts now, outings now, or last five, no, six, last six. And now that's nine runs in those six outings but he's also in one of the ones where he didn't give up a run he allowed an inherited runner to score opponents are hitting over 400 against him in this stretch now again small sample size for levers you're going to get goofy things but Tapera was one of those guys that maybe could have been an august waiver trade kind of guy it's like someone's reliever goes down if he skips through it, not now <laughs> you you burned all that goodwill uh yeah i mean it's it's the tale of this team is is either guys get hurt or uh the performance goes a little bit sideways i mean jay hap's performance was not the greatest before he got traded to the yankees he just had a large body of work on which to base your your upcoming assumption yeah exactly and and he was a starting pitcher and it wasn't coming off bad seasons like going back to tyler clippard another guy we thought okay he's pitching really well having a good season could be traded his era on July 10th was 309. ZRA after August 2nd was 401. And it's like going into the deadline, gave up runs in three out of six outings again. And it's like, well, if you're a guy who's coming off a terrible season and you have this, you know, soft stuff that's not overpowering, that's not going to get you traded to a contender. Well, and it, and it looks like you're getting tired in addition to that, right? Like if, if you started awful and you kind of righted the ship, Maybe you, you know, oh, the guy's on the right track. I, and he looks like exactly the opposite. So we don't think there's there's going to be much movement that way. So, eh, that's where we are. Yeah, this gets back to the who's going to pitch thing we were talking about before because, you know, this applies to the bullpen too. They, I mean, they're, they're just running on fumes. And this is sort of, you know, this is punishment for the early season when the starters were so bad and so many short outings. But, it, I mean, it's not going to be fun to watch going to the end of the games unless Ryan Baraki's pitching basically at this point or if Aaron Sanchez magically heals and he's going to go on a rehab start apparently soon but he can't come back fast enough 
Well, and and that was another mystery injury. Oh, he has a contusion on his finger. Not a blister. But yet, he's been gone over a month now? Yep. And he's going to be at least another two or, th- two or three weeks. So what... I don't know. It, it it doesn't it doesn't really add up. There, there's I, I understand this happens to all teams. I'm not blaming the Blue Jays, but there's a lot of guys who you would expect uh, to have more information about that you just kind of you don't have any, and it's weird. Because in the meantime, Kevin Pillar, Superman, he maybe got out, he got out of the kryptonite zone, and uh, an injury that when it was described was described as absolutely horrific. And he's back on the field. Uh, incredible. I mean, six weeks was the timeline thrown out there. He's back in two weeks. That's unbelievable. I mean, maybe he is Superman and his kryptonite just happens to be pitches, you know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, but it's a, it's incredible. I, I mean, I'm making a joke at his expense, and I shouldn't right now because I'm, I'm floored by this, and I'm, it's really impressive that he was able to do that. Mm-hmm. Because we have, like I said, we've got all these other guys who, you know, we, we try and line them up for some sort of timeline in our minds. And uh, whether you got Troy Tulowitzki or Josh Donaldson um, or, you know, like we just talked about Sanchez, we've got this sort of, oh, well, you know, sooner rather than later, we should see uh, some sign of them them coming back. And even when they get on a rehab assignment, oh, no, he tweaked this. Oh, you, you heard that. Oh, no, we can't do that. Um and then Pilar, boom, he's back in the lineup. It's just yeah, it's uncanny. It's great. I mean, obviously it was interesting seeing Grichuk playing some center field, and that was kind of enjoyable watch. Enjoyable. Wow. Enjoyable. And he was doing a pretty good job out there too, but, I mean, it's still nice seeing players come back from injury regardless. I, I read a fun stat, just quickly skimmed it on Twitter, is that uh, not only are... There are fewer baseballs put in play, of course. We've talked about that many, many times. But that those baseballs put in play are not evenly distributed in terms of who is getting less plays. And center field is one of the positions that gets now the least plays relative to what it used to. So you don't need as strong mm-hmm. a defender in center. Yeah, which so flies so much against the conventional wisdom. But I guess if you've got guys who you're shifting on all the time, and, and most guys are trying to pull the ball to try and get loft on it, my guess is that there are more balls going into the corners than there are straight well, away. And that's exactly it, right? And this is sort of, there was an article, I can't remember who wrote it, someone in Fangraphs earlier in the season, but the same concept, and it's why you can see teams just like, you know what, we don't care who's in the outfield right now. If they can hit, we're going to play them. Yeah. And I wonder if that sort of is a, a self-feeding uh, loop where now balls that get down in the outfield are less likely to get caught. So it pays to get a ball into the outfield, and on and on it goes. Yeah, maybe. All right, so the last thing is the infield go-round. Lourdes Gurriel Jr. is healing up, unlike the other two guys I mentioned. Uh, He comes back, and Hervis Salarte is healthy, Devin Travis is healthy and hitting fairly well. Um, Aledmus Diaz is hitting fairly well. So yeah, he is. What, what what do we do? <laughs> well, I think the answer is well, Drury's out, so that clears up one spot. I think the answer is that Yanervis you know, Larte has to go to the bench. He's been terrible for quite a while now. And his effort level is the other thing, of course, that people rag on. Um, which 
I'm I'm not overly concerned with effort level myself, but it, it makes it easy excuse to put a guy on the bench, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, I don't, like I said, he's playing so poorly, I don't think they need one. But I think it sort of comes down to a thing where it's like when you're hitting, right, when you're producing like Josh Donaldson was last year, who didn't run out a lot of ground balls either. If you're hitting well, people don't really care, right? Right. But Solarte hasn't hit since April. And hence, people care. Yeah, and, you know, right now, so Richard Urania is back up on the roster. He'll go down when, when Gurriel's back. But, I mean... We, we talked about the, when they traded for Brandon Drury, this idea. It's like they have like nine of these guys now. I mean, there's just so many of them. Well, now there aren't that many of them because they keep getting injured. That's <laughs> not how it's supposed to work. But no. what are you going to do? Yeah, so, I mean, the Drury one's interesting too because it was actually a pre-existing injury. He got hit on the hand when he was still with the Yankees. And x-rays came back negative and they said it was a bone bruise. And, well, now it's actually a fractured hand and he's going to be out a while so it's kind of a weird situation it's possible that it was a deep bone bruise that him by him keep continuing to play it broke but you know you never like to see that kind of happen where it's like the player got injured on the other team so i remember many many moons ago there was a player called brett laurie in toronto do you remember him sort of yeah it's a thing but he uh he got hit on the hand in the minors and he got x-rayed and was told it was just a bruise and when the swelling went down two or three days later he was re-x-rayed and found that it was a fracture. So it may have simply been something they couldn't see mm-hmm. um, because of the condition of the hand when it was first x-rayed. Not, not even something he did after the fact. Oh, that's a very fair point. And yeah, so anyway, just it kind of sucks because unlike Solarte, who I think, I don't know if he's auditioning for anything at this point. I mean, it's possible he should be. I mean, we might have to have this conversation should they pick up his option at the end of the year. But for now, he's going to play regardless. But for Drury... He was the key piece in the trade of J-Hap. So it's potentially he's a guy who they look at as an actual future piece, a guy who they could have on their roster when the team gets good again. And this was going to be his first chance to audition for that. So it's very unfortunate. It is. It is. Let's leave the unfortunate stuff for a few minutes. Let's, I let's, like that plan. Let's go to the good fortune that we have to have uh, the son of a Hall of Famer hitting like a Hall of Famer in the minor leagues right now. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. did finally, for real, get promoted after his dad got inducted into the Hall of Fame. He also got inducted, haha, into uh, into AAA. He plays for the Buffalo Bisons. So we know from last week he started with three walks for the Bisons. How have things gone from there? Uh, pretty good. He... <laughs> Josh's gift for understatement comes through once again. Yeah. Uh, so Vlad is just destroying AAA now as well. I mean, no, it's like a small sample size, right? So it's hard to say anything specifically. But he's hitting 476, and his OPS is over 1,300. And tonight, he hit his first AAA home run. And it was, you know, this was not a cheap home run. They they actually showed up, put the video up, the Buffalo Bison's Twitter account. He destroyed it. I mean, it wasn't... Yeah, it wasn't even like a destroyed ball down line. This was dead center, and it was a good 20 feet past the fence. So that's his first extra base hit in AAA. So how did he get to a 1,300 OPS in a week and a half? Uh, mostly by not chasing anything. His on-base percentage is over 500. Pardon me. It was 522 coming into tonight. In his first days yeah. to AAA at 19 years old. So uh, the, the different nature of pitching in triple a so far which which is generally veteran guys who are 
maybe bouncing up and down between the bigs or guys who are just about on the cusp. But there, there, there's not a lot of, you know, wild guys with just a fastball who don't know where anything's going anymore. Uh, that seems to have left him completely unfazed. Yeah, he had eight walks in his first seven minor league games and only struck out twice. He just has elite bat-to-ball skills and elite plate discipline, and that's where you find this, you know, look, we, we, we don't need to go on about Vlad Jr.'s talent because we've done that enough and other people have come on this podcast and done it for us. But it's like, you know, he's doing it at the highest level. I mean, the guy hit the home run off today, by the way, Kyle Wright. Kyle Wright is not a schlub, quad, you know, 4A up and down guy. This is a consensus top 50 prospect in baseball across the board entering the season. And, and I expect nothing less out of Vlad. So the question then comes back to, I guess, the question for this year is, you know, we joke about, you know, they won't call him up. And yet I, I don't think they will call him up this year because it's just a total waste of service time. But is it doing him a disservice by the beginning of the, the if healthy, the beginning of the year next year to not call him up or bring him north with the team? Is doing him a disservice. I don't think so. I mean, I, I don't think it's going to affect his development in any way. I think he might get bored, but he would only be down there for three weeks. <laughs> I'm bored of destroying these pitchers. I, I say that entire, entirely seriously. I mean, at some point, you need to be challenged, right? Yes. Well, yeah, you need, you need to feel like you're doing something important. And if you're always winning, it doesn't feel like you're doing anything important. Exactly. And so... I think that that could happen. If he, I mean, look, it's he's only played eight games now. This is his eighth game in AAA, so we don't actually. He could go over his next thirty. He won't, but he could. And then it's like, okay, well, he needs to work a bit more. But assuming he keeps hitting all the way through, it's just not going to be. It'll, it'll basically be like an extended spring training for him. And that, but the thing is, that's. I don't want to say okay because it's not, but from the team perspective, they're not going to worry about that. Yeah, that's the nature of trying to get as much as you possibly can out of prospects in baseball. I hear you. Yeah, until the CBA changes, there's no real case not to do it. But I mean, okay, the case not to do it would be if the Jays were trying to win next year. But if they're not, what are you gaining by playing them for those extra three weeks? Maybe a couple extra ticket sales, but even then. I'm with you. You know, I just I'm playing devil's advocate putting it out there. All right, so we asked ourselves questions about Vlad Jr. Maybe you have questions about Vlad Jr. There's, there's a few in the queue, and we're going to come back with them in a few seconds. And we're back. And uh, while we were away, and I know it doesn't seem like a long time that we were away there, but while we were away, the Jays traded Nick Tepish. So <laughs> it's the first time ever our podcast has been outdated before we finished the podcast. I've <laughs> it's impressive, no, really. Normally With magic powers, I think. Once I edit it and send it to you, that's when it becomes outdated. But wow. <laughs> Step yeah. up our game. <laughs> okay. Uh yeah, now people are like, you edit this podcast? Are you serious? Yeah, they'll never believe that, ever. No. All right. We have uh, questions, as I alluded to. I will I will hesitate no longer. Time now to hear from our listeners. That just seems silly. Here are the rules. First I ask a question, then you ask a question. Now, how does that sound, sweetheart? Could you repeat the question, please? 
Absolutely. Uh, the Faithful, the Faithful listeners, Heated End, uh, tagged us last week a little bit later than we could fit it in the podcast. Um, what players that you expect to be called up particularly interest you? What do you look for when they are with the Jays? Well, the other one that I really expect to be called up, there are other guys that could be in the mix, but it's Danny Jansen. Because, I mean, he's doing really, really well in AAA, and it's not like they needed him to sit down for rest purposes once the minor league schedule ends. And it'd be good to see what he can do and to get him around Russell Martin and Luke Maley. I kind of knew you were going to say Danny Jansen. Well, it's an obvious answer. Mm -hmm, Because they've used every infielder already, so I don't know that there's a lot to see there. By the way, yeah. Gift and Gopay's OPS in AAA is 571. He's not good. <laughs> I think every time I say that name, you have, like you're contractually obligated to observe that he's not good. <laughs> uh, it feels like it. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I I guess we could maybe see Rowdy Tellez get a get called up cuz he's also on the 40 man roster. He was he was the, you know, possibly a big thing if Justin Smoke floundered. Remember that? Yeah, he's playing a lot better now, actually, after a very slow start. But the one guy above all of them that I want to see come up and I want to see him play is Dalton Pompey. It's almost like they owe it to him at this point, isn't it? I think so. I mean, he's, he's back playing again. He's at the top of the lineup. He's doing okay in AAA and he's having a decent season when healthy, which is obviously, you know, most of not the time. But I think he needs to come up and he needs to play. They need to somehow trade Granderson. I don't know how. And they need to... Just say, Dalton, you're going to play two out of every three games. And then the follow-up to that question, what do we look for? I, personally, I if I'm watching someone who's you know new to the league, I'm looking to see uh, for that first sort of round of adjustments myself. A, first, can he hit mm. right off? Can he handle what major league pitching is? And then when he handles it for a week or two, and they start to come around and realize, oh, well, he can hit fastballs or uh, he can lay off breaking stuff. What's that first adjustment? And does that send somebody into a tailspin? Because th- that can that happens a lot with with young players. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think that's it. I mean, with the exception of Pompey, right? It's like, I just want to see him stay healthy and play. But in general, it's com- that's completely it. All right. Um, Blue Jay Thoughts, who also missed the deadline. <laughs> Has Carlos, so Bujayski thought CL Jr. <laughs> a long way to go for that one. Uh, has Carlos Ramirez really been that bad that the Jays don't even care that they lost him? Not much was made of it when the A's claimed him and he just cleared waivers. Yeah, I mean, he's, so Carlos Ramirez was kind of a project, right? I mean, he was an outfielder that they turned into a pitcher. And then he had a fantastic season where he did not give up a run for an entire calendar year, which we talked about last year when he came up. I, I guess, I guess so. I mean, the Jays, he's not really that great. I mean, he's, he didn't do very well with Oakland and, you know, he, he's, he gets some strikeouts, but he walks a ton of guys. I just don't think like they need another guy who's a maybe sixth inning ready reliever. Tough, but fair, Josh, as always. Uh, Colleen Evans. Colleen Evans 6. Asks, I'll read this one for you. Yeah, go ahead. How many pitching appearances does it take for a position player to become a reliever? Um, I, I think one is really the philosophical answer. No, no, no. It's got to be more than that. This, was, this, was, this question came about because Matt Davidson has pitched three times this season already. Uh, who was the catcher for Cleveland who they kept going back to? 
I forgot Chris Jimenez. Yeah, Chris Jimenez. I believe he had three appearances in a season. I think I think if a team goes to you three times when they've got all these other guys who are, you know, obviously some of them are kind of champing at the bit to try pitching at the major league level. I think you could consider yourself a really weird backup relief pitcher. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that it's not so much the number of appearances. I think it's if you're coming into games and the deficit is nine or fewer runs, (laughs) you are a relief pitcher. Some mysterious non-existent mercy rule kicks in. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Colleen Evans had another question. Um Anybody tracking the number of players from the July trades who've now hit the DL? Because uh, on her mind, I believe, was Drury was added to the list that day. Uh, she doesn't remember it happening, happening quite that often. I think there could be some confirmation bias here, just because we saw it happen to Drury and the guy he was traded for, J-Hap. But I don't think it's actually happening with any extra frequency this year. Would you like to ask me the next deep philosophical question <laughs> by the way we just have to rib you colleen because we, we love you and you're one of our favorite listeners it's at turf pod not at turf pod <laughs> that belongs to someone named ann turner she apologized apologize to ann and... turner today <laughs> oh, all right <laughs> for including her in this conversation that has nothing to do with her yeah okay so the question from joel windle at windle joel how do you find strength in these trying times um, it is just a game, I think, is what the long and the short of it is, if you want a serious answer. Um, also, if you want a not serious answer, you, you begin paying attention exclusively to the prospects. <laughs> Those are the two answers I have for you. Yeah, <laughs> um, my answers are basically just to the first one you said there. I can't, I can't think of the second part. Um, so if you had the last question from Kevin Ahoy at Flight Sim Geek, if you had to take a guess, who would you have on the Blue Jays infield opening day 2019? Okay. It's going to be Brandon Drury at third, Troy Tulowitzki at short, Lourdes Gurriel at second, and Justin Smoke at first base. And I think Devin Travis will be on the bench with Jan Hervis Solarte. Where is Aledemus Diaz? Also on the bench. Okay. I, I wonder feel... one of those guys maybe in the minors. Maybe like Travis is sent down to start the season or something. Well, he was going to allow you three backups with one of them possibly being shuffled up and down to Buffalo. So that might be your Devin Travis who has one more years on, uh, I believe, one more option year. Mm-hmm. Would be logical. Um, yeah, that's a tough one. I, I, I think this team has a sense of loyalty to... Uh, to Devin Travis, maybe that we don't have so much. <laughs> I, I don't know. I think that might be going away with the acquisition of Drury and the success of Guriel. I think that they're acknowledging that. I mean, Travis is actually hitting much better lately, so I don't want to take him away, take that away from him. But I think they're acknowledging that he might be a bit limited. Well, yeah. I mean, limited in terms of you don't want to run him out there every day, still not knowing exactly what's going to happen to him. I follow. I follow that logic. That's a tough one. I mean. And then I, I, there's always, you know, that mystery player who may come in the off season. If, yeah. If, well, I mean, yeah, it, it's very hard to predict. I'm just giving this a shot because of the question, but 
Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, today, Travis actually, since the beginning of June, is hitting 286 with a 335 and a 456 slugging. So that's quite good. But it, there's just so many parts around here that I think that's my best guess, but it could be completely wrong. As usual, no. <laughs> John, Josh is more often right than wrong. Uh, did I get all the questions? I know sometimes something trickles in light. That would be all of them. Well, thank you once again for your questions. And that leads us down the garden path to our favorite feature. Yes, the do-over. Oops, I said the quiet part loud and the loud part quiet. <laughs> but what if you could do it all over again? But what I really meant was... And there's nothing quite like hearing from a player who wasn't able to bow out gracefully and ended up kind of having to stumble out of the league without a job in a, a, a given year. And that player today is Jason Wirth. <laughs> yep (laughs) do you want to read it no all all yours you brought this to my attention okay so jason worth he he's been you know played finished off his career with the nationals and he decided that he would go back he was invited back for the phillies they did an anniversary of their 28 2008 world series win and jason worth was on that team and while he was there, he spoke to Howard Eskin, the guy who once broke the Bautista for Donald McBrown trade rumors, if you remember that name. Mm. Yeah. But anyway, Jason had, you know, he talked about his offseason plans and, you know, his issues with getting a team. But then he decided to take it to a different level, talking about baseball in general. Quote. They've got all these super nerds in the front office that know nothing about baseball, but they like to project numbers and project players. I think it's killing the game. It's to the point where just put computers out there, just put laptops and what have you, just put them out there and let them play. We don't even need to go out there anymore. It's a joke. I'm not and sure. Not. I'm yeah. not sure what that put laptops out there thing was supposed to mean, but it does draw a very strange picture in my mind of <laughs> like literal laptops on the field. What? What does he think's going on in terms of baseball analytics? Uh, maybe they're trying to build robot baseball players. I don't really know. <laughs> um, they guess they have computers in them, right? They could be called laptops. What is the nerdiest team out there? I think with without much argument, we, we would agree that the, what the nerdiest team is out there in terms of analytics, right? Well, I guess there are some options, but it's Tampa or Oakland. I would think Houston. Oh, well, you know, Houston, too. There's a bunch of them. That's the thing. There's Tampa, Oakland, Houston, and the Dodgers. Those are the four. And how are the Dodgers in Houston going with that when they have, when you combine some money with... And Oakland. Well, yeah. And Oakland, which, although they've never won anything in the playoffs, uh, they seem to be doing fine overall. I I don't... There, there's so many invalid parts of that argument. I don't even know where to start. And well, I don't know why he's out there talking about it. Well, here's where I want to start. Jason Worth doesn't get a $126 million contract if there's no analytics in the game. <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, this is a guy who, in going into his la- going into his free agent year, he hit 296, which is a good batting average, but only hit 27 home runs with 85 RBI. You know, those aren't 20 plus million dollar a year contract numbers. Well, actually it wasn't 20 plus, but um, those aren't $126 million contract numbers, but because he takes a ton of walks and he played good defense, which they could measure. Actually, it wasn't even that good, but just the walks. He took a ton of walks and he, so his on base percentage was high. That's why he got paid. But he doesn't know that. 
I don't know how he doesn't know that. I don't get it. Well, he doesn't but, know that because he's mad that his agent didn't get him a job this year. Yeah, those two things shouldn't be related at all. But, you know, it's just bizarre. I mean, this is, I, I always laugh. It's like we talked about this too before when I, when I mentioned that Melvin Upton was ragging on analytics. It's like, dude, you got $86 million only because of analytics. Yeah, I think the, I, do, these guys aren't aware that in, in the days of the 335, 100, you know, um, stats that meant something that they would have been at the mercy of things completely beyond their control and meanwhile like you said something that is in their control either their walk skills or their bat to ball skills or their ability to limit their strikeouts uh those things now pay them things that are within their control and they think that that somehow has screwed the game up yeah it's ridiculous in the same vein, I'll bring it up. It's David Waldstein of the New York Times. I had a tweet the other day. Is baseball losing popularity? Question mark. When I was a kid, the stuff that turned me on about baseball was diving catches, home runs, quirky batting stances, wins and losses, charismatic players, colorful managers, arguments, and heated rivalries. Not exit velocity, FIP, or games ending at 1 a.m. What is he talking about either? <laughs> they... I don't know. I mean, diving catches and home runs are still really a big part of the game. And wins and losses, I mean, they do have results at the end of games. And I think, you know, you see a lot of the players on social media and players in interviews and players, you know. Back in the old days, there was the the act like you've been here before attitude was quite prevalent, was it not? Oh, yeah. So are are the players not more colorful and charismatic now when they celebrate on the field? And don't get a baseball thrown at them afterwards? Yeah, go watch Happy Bias play and tell me there's no charisma. Yeah, very strange. Uh, And also, he argues against exit velocity, which I don't quite understand. We want to know the speed of every pitch, but we don't care how fast it leaves the bat. (laughs) Yeah. Now, in his defense, he he went into the comments and said he actually, the game might be better now, but he just doesn't like hearing these things brought up ad nauseum on the broadcast. Which I get that to a point, but I don't at the same time because like we want to understand what's happening, right? That's the point of the broadcast. Yeah, and we have a. You don't need to describe to me physically what happened on the field. I can see that. <laughs> huh? <laughs> Tell me something I don't know. It's quite the concept. Yeah, able to see the things while watching a broadcast. We should uh, talk to Pat Tabler and Buck Martinez about that. Do you have their number? No. I don't want to hear their voice any more often than I have to. <laughs> That's the reason I was offered their number. However, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, that was some. That's some logic right there. All right, what is worth? <laughs> what is worth do over? I mean, worth do over is to to actually talk to someone and ask why why was I paid so much money and listen for the answer and then say oh and then move on. <laughs> All he has to do is say, oh, and then we'll, yeah. uh, we'll accept that and, uh, and we'll never talk about it again. Oh, well, it, it has, uh, you know, the Blue Jays played well in Seattle and then they're, they're probably, are, how are they getting beat up right now by Boston? Is it bad? It's 8-5. Oh, wow. It tightened up a little bit. Yeah, Grichuk hit an absolute monster home run. I, you know, Grichuk really, after that rough start, I, I think he's going to round into a, a real nice piece for this team next year. He's actually playing great. I mean, the, you know, there's there's nothing you can say negatively about Randall Grichuk right now. He's been very, very good since he's returning from the disabled list. So there's that. 
<laughs> All right. I will turn it over to you at this point if you have a final thought. I do. I think it might be time for the Joe Biagini experiment to end in the big leagues. He's just not getting it done. I mean, <clears throat> right now there's two on and two out, and he's he actually somehow managed to strike out Mookie Betts, who has only struck out 59 times coming into this game, but he works slow. It's hard to watch him pitch, and his ERA entering this game was the Devils' ERA, 666. And at some point, you have to start getting outs, and you can't just live off two years ago. That, that's That's a bit of a downer thought, but it's probably true. Yeah, but I mean, this, what, what big league thoughts can I have right now? <laughs> I don't have big league final thoughts. So my final thought will go to this. The last time Vladimir Guerrero Jr. was hitless in three or more games in a row was July 19th to 21st, 2017, when he played for Dunedin. Oh, that just reminded me actually what was going to be my, my final thought until, until Joe Biagini came into the game and just <laughs> made me sad. Joe B. Oh, he just gave up a run. <laughs> we're, li- we're live blogging afterwards. It's great. We're yeah. doing we're doing a uh, a pre recorded call in show next week. No, uh, we're not. Don't don't <laughs> tease people about that. <laughs> but uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. has played. You know, he went on a little bit of a minor league rehab assignment. The only level where he did not have an OPS over a thousand was rookie ball. <laughs> Okay, one more Vlad Guerrero Jr. thought. When was... Okay, I'll ask you the question. When was the last time he failed to reach base more than two games in a row? Failed to reach base? Yep. Was it in rookie ball? Was it in the Appalachian League? Never. His entire career, he has never gone three games without reaching base. That's unbelievable. Uh, Yeah. Two and a half years. One short season, one full season ball, and now this year. And he finds himself on at least first base all the freaking time. <laughs> that's that's truly unbelievable. I didn't know that. That's that's a final thought. Alright. That said, you have been Josh Housem at Joshua Housem, and I have been Greg Wisniewski at Coolhead2010 and this has been Artificial Turf Wars episode number 113 and we'll talk at you next week.